Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to the third episode of our podcast Unscripted. We've got our usual host today, Nadim, historian and academic, Yasmin Khatun, journalist for the Islam Channel, and myself, Kerry Bullivant, activist. I'd like to sort of take a moment here just to say that everybody here is speaking in their personal capacities and most definitely not on behalf of any organisations that they they might be um, associated with. So with that little disclaimer out of the way, we're going to get on to what could definitely be sort of our most controversial topic of our three episodes. There really is only one news this week, and that is... Yasmin? Jihadi John, (laughs) who is no longer Jihadi John. Rather, we know um, he is... Uh, young Mohammed, I think this news sort of took the world by storm. We saw at the press conference everybody from CNN to Italian uh, newspapers, TV channels, Japanese. everybody, Japanese ones, uh, local, you know, media, uh, national media, international media. Everybody was there. It was, it was, you know, for the organisation that was streamed live on the BBC. When we, when I got back to the office, everybody was on 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 BBC, CNN, ITV. It was everywhere, and I think that just shows the enormity of the story, but also the gravity of uh, what's behind the story. Yeah. It's not just a headline. It's not just um, the unmasking of a young man, but the story uh, of this man and what actually took place. I think the revelations that were made by Cage were frightening. Well, I'd like to sort of take a moment to sort of correct a little bit there. Although the, 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 the story and the background did come from Cage, um, it was the Washington Post that approached us mm. with the name in the first place. Um, and it was them who initiated this. And basically, Cage were put in a position where this, this story was going to break one way or another. Yeah. They had the name. They felt they had proof that it was the correct person. And so... Um, what that meant was that the, the story would either go out with just the bare basics of the facts and then the, the, the media would spin it however they, they wanted. Or we, we found, obviously, two years' worth of emails and, and this whole context behind it, we could release that with it and, and give it the context behind what happened to maybe try and understand what led him from place A to... Uh, to, to, to what we've seen today on, the, on those videos. Nadine, what's your take? Bismillah, Manurahim. I think just sort of touching on a point that Yasmin made that the revelations were quite frightening. I mean, I think we all expected, you know, some sort of, I don't want to use the word tragic, but I think it is sort of tragic, uh, tragic backstory. And I, the reason why I don't want to use the word tragic is because I'm, I'm sure that someone out there's going to malign me for using that word. But it, it, it was quite tragic that he was stopped and harassed by MI5. I didn't expect it to be you know, that bad, that level of harassment. And I think what's important now, uh, I think what you know, Cage has done brilliantly, is to try and say, well, actually, fine, what Jihadi John has done is deplorable, and no one is making excuses for that. However, we need to come back and look at how MI5 treated this individual, how the British uh, security services treated this individual and and therefore really try and, and sort of understand how he became who he was. One of the things that's been lost from the from the, the narrative that Cage had been trying to put out is our whole point is is not really how he was and ask him describe that in, in very colourful mm. language or or how he is now, which is 
kind of the polar opposite of what Asim described, the important part for us is actually that journey in between. What takes someone from being, as Asim described him, a beautiful young man, to being the man who kills people and beheads them on a video? Um, and, And not just any people, aid workers and people who went out there to support refugees to support the right. innocent people right. who were suffering in in that country right. and that the reasons behind that journey are critical to our modern age right. yes, I, mean. I think one of the things we have to remember is we still don't know a lot we don't know um, the state of the so-called jihadi John. We don't know the state of Muhammad and what happened uh, before he went to Syria either. Like there was, there's a big gap in the yeah. middle. 2012 we know to 2000, 2015. The last contact that um, uh, Kay Chad was obviously January 2012. And then now we've seen these videos emerge in late 2014. There's a lot that's missing from the picture. And I think it's almost as though everybody's decided, yes, it is him. And this is what's happening. But even the videos that came through, a lot of people doubted some of the videos. A lot of people doubted what was coming through. And we still, there aren't any journalists in um, Iraq and Syria where, uh, you know, uh, living with Islamic State. We aren't there to verify what's taking place. I think we have to almost step back from being so confident about sort of uh, knowing exactly what's happening. All we know regarding this at the moment is what Cage can show us regarding those emails and what happened to him uh, before January 2012. And we know um, for to some extent some of what the Washington Post has sort of revealed taking that into account. And I think when I said um, uh, this was frightening in terms of Cage's revelations is because without uh, that back part of the story, really, the Washington Post didn't reveal much. It was just the name. Mm. It was the back right. part of that story that, that added um, a whole new dimension to, to what's been revealed, and which is, I think, why there's been such an enormous reaction to what we found. Can either of you two remember a case where in terms of documentary evidence, there's so much from the point where the person first sort of comes into the security radar system to the point where obviously he's now got a $6 million bounty on his head. I can't think off the top of my head of a case that's so well documented each sort of step of the way. And even with the, the sort of that period of what happened when he left and went to Syria, and the last couple of years in Syria, that's kind of vague at the moment still and, and still quite unknown. But the rest of it is very, very well documented. And I can't think of another case like that. Can you guys? The only thing I'm sort of tempted to say is Osama bin Laden. And the only reason I, I say that is because, you know, his family is very well known in Saudi Arabia. Uh, his links with security agencies are, uh, or were, uh, very well known with the CIA and... Mm. Uh, my five, my six, and so on and so forth. However, I don't, I don't think that there, yeah, is a case like you know I can't remember in recent history that is is as well documented as the case of Jihadi John. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is, and again, I'm so, I think I feel like I'm on a sort of dangerous ground here, is that it tends to humanize the person. So again, what Jihadi John's John done. Um, to the likes of Adam Henning and, and so on, and other victims, deplorable. Uh, but this has sort of almost given him a human element, uh, or, or rather, 
who he was a human element. And maybe that's why um, the media reaction to what Cage has said has been the way it has done. Mm. Because as you saw, in terms of even portraying some of those images that were shown in those videos, people were very hesitant, um, almost uh, when it came to sort of the second uh, and third uh, videos that were revealed with, with, mm. the, with the awful uh, um, beheadings. Um, the videos, nobody was showing them anymore because of, uh, because of their horrific nature. And I think that has almost, this sort of humanisation of the young man, I think for, for media networks, it's almost, how do you cover that? You know, how do you show and present this man when we almost decided we weren't going to, you know? I mean, I was, I was surprised listening to coverage on BBC Radio, for example, where they were saying that, oh, he was a, a fan of S Club 7. And you're like, it just seems so incongruous, doesn't it? I think one of the things that we have to sort of take from this, and uh, I have to believe, and we think we, would, we all have to believe, that this inquiry that's now been launched by the Prime Minister would have not happened should these revelations not come to surface. Now, the, the inquiry that I'm talking about is the inquiry into um, the uh, mistreatment of Michael Adebolajo, or Mujahid, otherwise known as, um, uh, which the uh, Prime Minister has asked for. I think that is incredible for that to come to surface, mm. clearly looking to look at um, these possible wrongdoings. Okay, so let's get down into the, into the crux of the matter. To what extent do you think the, the emails that have been released um, show a pattern and, and a part in his, uh, in, in his sort of road from the beginning to the end? Um, uh, I'll talk a, just very quickly about what, what's in the emails, just for, for those that don't know. Um, basically, what the emails show is that m- multiple times um, this, uh, Mohammed tried to um, get married twice and was stopped by the security services. Uh, they stopped him from uh, getting jobs on multiple occasions. Uh, and there was clearly a, a systematic plan to, to dismantle any sort of attempt at having an ordinary ordinary life. And so uh, along, alongside that, there, there was some very prominent incidents. For example, he was assaulted while in police custody and strangled. Um, and that in and of itself um, clearly had a, a, a big impact on him. Now, to what extent do you think that this sort of um, alienation, as it were, might have affected his trajectory. I think uh, you know it, it's completely disingenuous. It's completely, completely ridiculous to say that this didn't affect him becoming who he was. Um, and the reason I say that is because this is you know I've seen comments on newspapers and YouTube videos and so on and so forth saying oh it's only a little bit of harassment, but it wasn't. You're mm. effectively destroying this guy's life, putting it on hold. You know he wanted to get married. Uh, he had a job waiting for him. Uh, and this wasn't, you know, a week. This was over a number of years, uh, and he tried to resolve it over, uh, you know, through, through legal. He, yeah, he 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 got solicitors. Exactly. He went to the IPCC. He, exactly. he he spoke. He wrote letters to his MP. Exactly. I mean, I think the thing we have to almost um, make sure is 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 included time and time again into the debate is that with every with every um, individual, everyone starts off in a good place. You know, babies aren't born, you know, hating or hating or uh, or you know. Uh, their environment or etc um, but when you're, when you're in those hostile situations look at the way um, people react so as well as MI5 or whatever his treatment may have been where was his support network mm. where was his support network and how did this young Muslim man fall into the situation that he has done and, 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 and gone through the path he has done he's not alone 
there are a number of other British writers, other, other young Muslim men and Muslim women who, who are in situations that, that for others, they may think um, it's actually a really difficult place to be. Yes, because you very, very quickly, and I mean quickly, um, tell us about the, the, the research that you've done into, into Muslim women um, and why they have decided to go to Islamic State. Um, I, I do, I've done a lot of research into this and in the focus group that I held with five young women asking them about this topic, I think the one thing uh, that really stood out was these individuals wanting to be seen and wanting to be heard, wanting to play a part in society, wanting to be someone. Why are we isolating our, our, our young? Why are we leaving them without voices um, when their voices aren't being heard, when they're being when they're being closed in and forced to either be a certain way or or are not allowed to express their opinions or you know learn about islam properly and talk about the things that are important to them then they're going to find ways outside of the realms of their families and their communities to try and uh to try and express those ways and running away and trying to everybody wants to be when the girl said to me everybody wants to be a superhero you know it's yeah. like wanting to to make a difference okay i want to i want to wrap up and we're, we're going to sort of deal with this very quickly um, Nadim, uh, apologetics. Um, by doing this, by talking about this, are we just justifying what what this man's done? Um, Not at all. You, 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 you talk on that briefly. I'll talk on that briefly. And then Yasmin, you're you're, you're doing. Um, uh, uh, do we condone these things? Uh, not at all. We're not uh, trying to justify or make excuses. Uh, we're trying to understand, uh, as we've been saying through the, whole, through the whole sort of episode, that how did he become who he is? Uh, and we can't deny, and it's completely disingenuous, it's ridiculous to try and brush this under the carpet and say this had, this had no impact on him. It was only a little bit of harassment. This was major harassment over a couple of years. Um, no one is, again, no one is justifying what he's done, but we need to understand this if we want to stop people becoming radicalised. I think, as well, if we don't understand the path that leads to, to, to this, then we don't actually know how to interrupt it. And the current basis that the government's using has been proven academically time and time again to be completely flawed. There's, there is no conveyor belt theory, and that's a big problem. Um, Yasmin, you want to wrap this one up? Um, on, on Muslims all the time being asked, do you condone Jahadi John? I think what it has to come back to is when we come out and show how how we um, want to address our communities, how we want to show that we are together in this, we do so voluntarily. We do so out of our love for our communities, we do so as a, for being a part of our communities. When you try to force an apology out of somebody, when you're picking and prodding and trying to force people to show that they are of something and, and, and they're not, or show that they're humans and they're not, they're not animals and that they don't believe in, in the rights of others, I think you put yourself into a situation where you are creating others. Um, you're not treating Muslims as a part of your society when you treat them like that. Muslims, of course, they, they, they don't con uh, condone this sort of violence. Um, and we, we voluntarily... We voluntarily believe through Islam, through our practice of our belief, um, that harming others is, isn't a part of our religion. It's not something that we should come out and, yeah. and have to continually apologise for. I'm going to end this on a, on a high brow note um, and quote a bit of Shakespeare. Um, if you prick us, do we not bleed? Aren't Muslims offended by the same things that offend other people? Aren't we shocked by barrel bombs the same way we're shocked by beheadings? These sorts of things, it's to force out on apology is to actually say, are you a monster? And that presumption of guilt, even in the question, poses a real problem. Anyway, thank you for listening. And um, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.